Well, uh, good evening, church family. Uh, this is Wednesday, uh, April the 15th, and uh, tonight we are going to move ahead in our study of Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And uh, tonight we'll be looking at chapter 20 on the theme of Thou Our Guide, which is uh, J.I. Packer's uh, summary of the concept of the guidance of God or divine guidance in our lives. And so tonight, as we look at chapter 20 together, one of the things that he says toward the beginning of the chapter is that divine guidance has either been ignored or doubted because of the influence of modern notions about God. In other words, uh, just because of uh, our modern ideas about God as either distant or non-existent or small, uh, some people don't even really think about the guidance of God or it doesn't really enter into their minds. Uh, but there's also the problem of some Christians just having a um, misunderstanding about what the guidance of God is. And so it leads to some unnecessary anxiety in Christians. And so he begins by talking about the fact that God has a plan and begins to ask the questions that are important to think about on this topic. Uh, is there such a thing as divine guidance? Does God guide us? If so, how? How does God guide us? And so he says that belief in divine guidance rests on two foundational facts. The first of those is the reality of God's plan for us. And the second of those is the ability of God to communicate with us. So does God have a plan for us? And if so, how does God reveal that to us or communicate that to us? And so he begins by asking the question, does God have a plan for individuals? Does God have a plan for us? And he says, yes, he does. God does have a plan. And that plan that God has for us individually is really a part of a much larger plan that we might refer to as God's eternal purpose or his eternal decree. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that God works out all things in conformity to the counsel of his will. So in a sovereign sense, God has a plan for everything and everyone. But then even in, beyond that, with regard to God's people, uh, God has a special purpose for his redeemed, and that is to make them his own children and to do good for them and to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ and ultimately to glorify them, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So yes, God does have a will for us. He has a plan for us. Uh, but then that brings into it the next question of, uh, is all of that plan revealed to us? Uh, no, the whole plan is not revealed to us, but God does uh, reveal his uh, certain aspects of his will to us, especially with regard to his moral will in terms of how we should make decisions, what we should do. And so he says, can God communicate his will to us? Can God communicate aspects of that plan to us? And he says he can. So 
there is a God, he does have a plan, and he can communicate elements of that plan to us. And so we have all throughout the scriptures examples of God communicating with his people. I mean, right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 2, we have God communicating to Adam and Eve his will for them. Uh, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Uh, you may eat of all the trees of the garden, but of this one in the middle, you may not eat of it. So God communicates his will to his people. Uh, he communicates to Noah, build an ark. Uh, he communicated specially his will through Abraham. Uh, we see a, a, a vast amount of God's revealed will disclosed to Moses at and after Mount Sinai. Uh, so we have uh, ample evidence in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of God revealing his will uh, to his people. Uh, but we also have in Scripture explicit promises that God will guide us and where we can know what God wants us to do. Uh, we have in Scripture uh, places like James 1.5 where we are told that if we lack wisdom, and wisdom is certainly uh, what God wants us to do in terms of what is right, what is wrong, the choices that we make. And James says that if we lack that wisdom, we can ask of God. And if we ask sincerely in faith, God will grant that request and give us his wisdom. And then we have also, too, the very concept that we are the children of God that we've actually been looking at recently in this study of knowing God. So we are children of God, which leads then to the question, what father doesn't counsel or guide his children? And the answer is no good father. So every good father that is doing his fatherly responsibility is going to counsel and guide his children. Uh, we have the scriptures, which we are told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are God's word. They're breathed out by God and they're profitable for us, for our teaching, for reproof, for correction, for uh, training in righteousness. So we have God revealing his will for us through his word. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our instructor and guide. John says in his first letter, 1 John, that we have an anointing and that anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, leads us into the truth of God. Uh, we also have in Scripture the concept that God, through His redeemed people, seeks glory through them. And that leads then to the implication that if God is seeking glory through His children, then that means He must be revealing to them His will and guiding them in what to do in what is right that brings honor to him so that he will receive glory. So we have several indications in the word of God that God does guide his people with regard to his will. He says in the book, it is impossible to doubt that guidance is a reality intended for and promised to every child of God. Christians who miss it thereby show only that they did not seek it as they should. It is right, therefore, to be concerned about one's own receptiveness to guidance and to study how to seek it. 
So what J.I. Packer wants us to know in this chapter is that there is a, a need for God's children to seek God's will and to want to do God's will. And we have in Scripture, we are told that God does reveal to us how we should live and guide us in the decisions that we make. So God does guide us and we should seek that guidance. But the problem comes in, in how we understand how we receive that guidance. And on this particular question, there are all kinds of notions and ideas out there in Christendom. And some of them are quite troubling and clearly wrong. And so Christians can get into wrong ideas about how it is that we receive this guidance from God. So the question is not whether or not God guides us as his children. He clearly does. The proper question is how. How does God guide us as his children? So here's the problem. And he says in the chapter, here's where earnest Christians can go wrong. Earnest Christians seeking God's guidance can and often do go wrong and come to wrong ideas about how it is that we receive God's guidance. So why? Why is it that Christians often go astray in their pursuit of God's guidance? Well, for a couple of reasons. One is Christians sometimes have a distorted conception of the nature of what God's guidance is, but then also a misunderstanding of the method of God's guidance. So, Christians can have a distorted concept of what guidance is and then also of how that guidance comes to us, the method by which God guides us. Another problem, another reason why Christians go astray in this matter of divine guidance is because they overlook the guidance that is ready at hand. And what is that? Well, it's the Word of God. So we overlook the very clear revelation of God, the guidance that he has already given us. And sometimes as Christians, we go off chasing divine guidance in all the wrong places. And it can lead to uh, delusions. It can lead to uh, self-deception if we are not careful. And so by looking for guidance in the wrong places, we can open ourselves up to these delusions. So he says, here's the basic mistake. The basic mistake is to think of guidance as essentially an inward prompting of the Holy Spirit, apart from the written word. So the main problem that we get into as Christians is when we think that God's guidance is in here instead of right here. Here's the issue. God's word is perfect, isn't it? God's truth is perfect. 
the Word of God, the Scriptures are God-breathed. They are true. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth, Jesus says in John 17. God's Word is true. But here's the problem with our inward thoughts. They're deceptive, aren't they? Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful. It is deceptive. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And here's the problem. That deceptiveness, that that problem that our heart can fall into delusions is not completely eradicated by the new birth, by regeneration. So in other words, we can have new birth, a, a new nature, and we can have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, living within us, but that does not mean that our heart is flawless. That does not mean that every thought, every impression, every inner prompting that we get is right. So the Word of God is perfect. Our thoughts, no matter how much we think they're coming from God, those thoughts need to be discerned by the Word of God. So he says the basic mistake of many Christians in this area of divine guidance is relying essentially on these inward thoughts, these inward impressions and promptings instead of on the written word. So how do we make this this mistake? How do thoughtful Christians make this mistake? Well, here's one way. One, they hear guidance. They hear the word guidance. And in their minds they immediately jump to a particular set of what J.I. Packer calls guidance problems, which may be termed vocational choices. And, and what these are, these are decisions or, or choices that are essentially uh, two valid options or more, two or more valid options, and which are moral and lawful and good. How do we decide between the two? This is where a lot of Christians think guidance focuses on. So when they think divine guidance, they think of those kinds of issues. But here's the problem. Divine guidance in the scriptures is all-inclusive. It's not just these issues that we have to make a decision on where we have two or three valid options. Everything in life is a part of divine guidance, including what is is moral, not moral. What is valid, not valid. Not just choices between multiple valid options. And so part of the problem is Christians have a wrong view of divine guidance as just restricted to this one category of what he calls vocational choices. Things like, should I marry or should I remain single? If I should marry, who? Whom should I marry? Uh, Where should I go to college? What vocation should I choose? So here are the options that are out there. You know, here are some of the things that I'm good at. Here are some of the things that I like to do. What should I choose? Uh, Where should I live? What church should I join? So all of these we might classify as these kinds of choices where there might be more than one valid option. How do we decide? 
And so, and, and these are important questions. So in no way are we discounting the importance of how we answer these questions. But the mistake is to jump to the conclusion that all guidance problems are of this type of vocational choices between lawful options. That's not all that guidance involves. Uh, there are two features about divine guidance in the case of these vocational choices that are distinctive. In other words, there are some unique issues, some unique distinctives when it comes to these vocational type choices. One is this, these problems cannot be resolved by a direct, and notice that word direct, application of biblical teaching. So, for example, on the choice of whether to marry or not to marry, the Bible is not going to directly answer that question for us. It is a valid choice either way. Marriage is good and honorable in all, the Bible says. But Paul also says in Corinthians, there might be instances in which it is not wise to marry. Jesus talks about the fact that to some it has been given the gift to remain single, but not all have received this gift. So the Bible is not going to directly answer the question, should I marry or not marry? And even if we come to the conclusion that we should marry, the Bible is not going to tell you the name of the person that you should marry. So that's what, I, that's what I mean by the Bible does not directly address the answer to these questions with these vocational type choices. So then here's what happens. The issue then is that because the Bible doesn't directly give us the answer, uh, people then, Christians, and, and Christians that are desiring to do what's right, but but sometimes they fall back to these inward promptings, these inward thoughts or these inward inclinations that we have. And, and sometimes those inward thoughts or promptings, they can give our minds a direction and sometimes even give our minds a, 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 uh, a settled peace about a matter and we come to a decision on something. But the issue is that we assume that these inward promptings or inclinations are God-given and revelatory, but they may not necessarily be. And that's where the problem comes in. So J.I. Packer says, the consequences of this mistake among earnest Christians have been both comic and tragic. The idea of a life in which the inward voice of the Spirit decides and directs everything sounds most attractive for it seems to exalt the Spirit's ministry and to promote or and to promise the closest intimacy with God. But here's the thing. In practice, this quest for super spirituality only leads to frantic bewilderment, confusion, or even lunacy. What does he mean by that? Well, here's the, here's the problem is that this concept of an inner communion with the Holy Spirit and of constantly hearing the Spirit's voice 
and of making all of our decisions on the basis of these inner promptings and, and like this inner conversation that we're having with the inner, with the Holy Spirit, it comes across as very pious. It comes it comes across as very spiritual, very, uh, very, uh, and, and and with the idea that we have this close, intimate relationship with God or with the the indwelling Holy Spirit, but in reality, uh, that it can actually be a false piety. It can be a false super spirituality that is not really anchored, that is not really built on a solid foundation in which we think that these inner thoughts, this inner dialogue that we're having is with the Holy Spirit, when maybe it's just with ourselves, with our own thoughts that can be deceptive and by which we can be deluded. So, and and then... When, we, when we're building our decisions on these inner promptings or what we think to be divine revelation from God, we can end up in all kinds of trouble and errors. And in the chapter, he goes through some of these in which they're really quite comical, but also, like he says, sometimes tragic, in which people make decisions based on these inner promptings, but they end up doing something that is completely wrong in the context of the Word of God. And I've actually experienced some instances of this where people have told me, God led me to do this. I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do this. But here's the problem. It was completely contradictory to what the Word of God said. So these inner promptings following that can lead to all kinds of trouble. So those who adopt this mystical pursuit of guidance through inward impressions and promptings fail to grasp that the fundamental mode whereby our rational creator guides his rational creatures is by rational understanding and application of his written word. So the real issue is that sometimes in seeking divine guidance, we are seeking it the wrong way and in the wrong place. We're seeking it, sometimes we're seeking it primarily in our thoughts and in our hearts in which we think we're having a dialogue with the Holy Spirit, but really the primary, the fundamental core method of God guiding his children is through his word, through objective propositional truths in black and white that we can rationally think on and make decisions on the basis of those clear truths and applications. So, uh, honest, you know, and, and, and thoughtful Christians desiring to please God, sometimes they go the wrong way, though, in, the, in, seeing, in seeking the wrong method in searching for divine guidance. I love this quote from Dr. Packer in the book. He says, The true way to honor the Holy Spirit as our guide is to honor the Holy Scriptures through which He guides us. If you really want to honor the Holy Spirit and follow His guidance, well then fundamentally, primarily, you need to be honoring the Word through which He has spoken to us. I don't remember, if you remember back, several weeks back, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit in knowing God, He says... Christians have come to all kinds of wrong conceptions about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. 
And if you remember in that chapter, he said, really, we need to get back to the two primary things that the scripture reveals to us about what the Holy Spirit does. And he said, those two things are these. The Holy Spirit gives us the Bible and the Holy Spirit gives us new birth, regeneration. And so he says, without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have a Bible. And without the Holy Spirit, there wouldn't be any Christians in the world. So the primary way to honor the Holy Spirit's guidance is to honor his word that he has given to us. The fundamental guidance, he says, which God gives to shape our lives, the instilling, that is, of the basic convictions, attitudes, ideals, and value judgments in terms of which we are to live is not a matter of inward promptings apart from the word, but of the pressure on our consciences of the portrayal of God's character and will in the word, which the spirit enlightens us to understand and apply to ourselves. The primary guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives is through the word and then to conform our hearts and our thinking to the word so that we think God's thoughts after him. In other words, sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit's promptings as like God whispering to us what we ought to do in every decision. But that's not maturity. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is God giving us his word, giving us guidelines and principle and truths. And we then need to learn those and with wisdom, understand how to apply those in life. Think of uh, the, the way that a child grows up in a home and just the, the maturation process of a young person growing into adulthood. When that child is young, yes, he has to be told everything. Every little detail, every little instruction about how to do this or that. Watch out for this. Don't don't cross the street without looking both ways. And and a lot and a lot of instruction on a moment by moment basis. But guess what happens when that child matures? You have less and less of that. Why? Because the parent's job is to instill morals, principles to shape a character so that that young person, when it, that person reaches adulthood, is making choices out of that character that has been developed and on the basis of those truths and principles that have been instilled in them. That's what God is doing through in us through his word and through his abiding spirit. So he's not necessarily telling us every decision to make, uh, you know, like a little child. He is telling us the principles, the guidelines that are going to shape our thoughts and our hearts by which we make those decisions. So the basic form of divine guidance, therefore, is the presentation to us of positive ideals as guidelines for all our living. It's through the word. Turn from evil and do good. Psalm 34 and Psalm 37. This is the highway along which the Bible is concerned to lead us. And all its admonitions are concerned to keep us on it. The very basic road of the path of divine guidance is that. Do what is right. Do what is good. 
and turn from evil? That is the first and fundamental question of, am I doing God's will in my life? And he says also the, the reference to being led by the Spirit in Romans 8, 14, it's really not fundamentally about these inner promptings or these inner thoughts that we have, these impressions. Really what Romans 8, 14 is about in being led by the Spirit is those who are led by the Spirit are being conformed to the image of Christ. Their hearts are being transformed to do what is right. In other words, those who are mortifying sin and mortifying the flesh and walking in the fruit of the Spirit, those are the ones who are led by the Spirit. It's not really talking about these inner promptings at all. It's talking about the fact that we're living our lives according to the truths of God's Word and the fruit of the Spirit that's being wrought in our lives. So any inward thoughts and promptings that we have then must be judged and evaluated on the basis of the revealed written Word of God. The Spirit leads within the limits which the Word sets, not beyond them. So the, the Word of God forms the road, the basis on which we make our decisions. Uh, the Spirit's work in our hearts and our minds is always going to be, if it's from the Spirit, is always going to be in harmony with the Word and from the Word. So here are some common pitfalls, he says, that we have to watch out for in trying to discern what God wants us to do. And, and here's the thing, even with the right ideas about guidance in general, in other words, some of these things that we've been talking about, having the right understanding of what God's guidance is and the primary method that God guides us, that is through his word, we can still go astray. Even our regenerate human nature is open to that deception of the heart. So here are some pitfalls we got to watch out for. Unwillingness to think. Unwillingness to think. And here we have to think about, uh, you know, there's a, a false piety out there that says, you know, I don't, I, I just need to listen to the Spirit. I don't have to wrestle with, you know, the subjects and verbs and the grammar of the Word of God. You know, I don't have to really study it hard. I don't have to pull out a commentary or a dictionary. I don't have to really seek and get into understanding what this is. What's the historical background? What's the literary context? What's, what's really going on in the Word of God? I don't need that rational. I just need you know, this, this pious, communing, mystical, uh, communing with the Holy Spirit. And he says that is a false piety. We have to have a willingness to think God made us rational thinking beings. Wisdom, careful thought, investigation, these are means of God guiding us into what is right. So let us not adopt a false piety that puts aside the need for careful, rational, investigative thinking. Another pitfall is an unwillingness to think ahead. And by this, he's, he means, so don't just follow the prompting. Think rationally about it, but he also think ahead. What are the implications of this? What are the, what are the potential long-term effects or consequences of this decision? Compare and weigh alternative choices. If I make this choice, what are the effects? What are the long-term outcomes versus if I make this choice? 
And so we have to have a willingness to think ahead. Another pitfall is an unwillingness to take advice. If we're too focused on the inward, then we will exclude a, a very valid and biblical source of divine counsel. And that is the advice of other wise people who are around us. Uh, we see many times in scripture where it says to seek advice and to seek counsel. You read the book of Proverbs, it's all over the place to really investigate a matter, to really hear it out. And only fools despise wisdom, only fools despise counsel. And so we have to have a willingness to take advice from the wisdom and experience of others. That's part of what the body of Christ is for. It's one of the reasons why we can't live the Christian life in isolation apart from the body of Christ is we need to bounce things off of one another and to learn from their wisdom and to learn from their experiences. So be willing to take advice. Another pitfall that we can fall into is an unwillingness to suspect oneself. And I've already kind of alluded to this a little bit in when we rely on these inward promptings or these inward impressions that we have and we automatically think that they are divine guidance. Here's the problem is we don't, we don't have a right suspicion of the potential deception of our own hearts. So uh, we are unwilling to question our own inward thoughts and promptings and really ask the question, is this really God? Is this really the Holy Spirit? Is, does this come from his word? Does it match up with his word? Uh, if we have an unwillingness to suspect ourselves, we will be unwilling to bring into our thoughts the possibility of emotions, feelings, physical, biological, hormonal things that may be going on that may be prompting us toward a particular decision. And he gives the example in the chapter of a lot of times young people fall into this trap when they think that they're in love and they think that it's God's guidance or the Holy Spirit prompting them to love this person or to marry this person when really it's just hormones. It's just their feelings and emotions that are connecting them to this person. They're not thinking objectively about it through the truths of the word of God. And so you might have a young person, a Christian, marry a non-believer because they feel it's right. But that's just feeling. That's just emotion. The Bible says we ought not to be unequally yoked, believer to unbeliever. So we need to have a willingness to suspect ourselves. Uh, we need to have a willingness to examine our own motives. You know, is this really the Holy Spirit? Am I having the right motives about this? Why do I want to make this decision? We have to have a willingness to look for and spot our own rationalizations. It's amazing how quick we are to spot rationalization and, uh, you know, uh, making a, a choice seem viable. We can see that in other people doing that. So when someone knows something's wrong and they're just rationalizing, we can see that in other people. It's hard to see that in ourselves. Are we willing to look for that in ourselves? So there's a trap of an unwillingness to suspect ourselves and, our, and the deceptiveness of our own hearts. There's also the unwillingness to discount personal magnetism. I think essentially what he's talking about here is the way in which certain personalities, uh, very strong personalities, 
maybe dominant, but maybe just influential, maybe charismatic, funny. Uh, they just have a way with people, whatever it is. Uh, some people have the ability to really sway and move the thoughts and opinions and perceptions of other people. We have to bring that into account when we're thinking about, is this really God's will for my life? Or is it just this person's influence on my life? So we have to look out for that in two ways. One, am I that kind of a personality that can have that kind of a sway or persuasion on other people? If so, I have to be careful with that. Then vice versa, we need to, if we're thinking about a choice or decision that needs to be made, is this person having undue influence uh, on this decision because of how strong of an influence they are, strong a personality they are? So we have to take that into account. And then he says another pitfall, and we fall into this all the time, is an unwillingness to wait. God's not in a hurry. His timing is not our timing. Sometimes we're seeking guidance, but we're not willing to wait. And so we start finding clues and signs or impressions or thoughts that we think are God's will, but they're really not. It's just our unwillingness to wait. We want a decision now, and so we look for things to give us Uh, some kind of confirmation that this is God's will, but really we just need to wait. We need to be willing to, um, for him to to unfold things and, and lead us step by step. He says, it is not God's way to give us more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. God's not gonna lay out the whole road in front of us. He just wants us to walk step by step. So we need to be willing to wait. And then he says, there are no simple answers. God's guidance is not cut and dry. It's not simple. Uh, And one of the traps that we can fall into is, especially if we follow these inner promptings or different signs that we may see as pointing us to go in a certain direction. Sometimes we'll use the language of open doors and closed doors. Well, here's the problem is when we look at those as evidence of God's guidance, whether it's these inner promptings or a feeling of peace or an open door versus a closed door, sometimes then when we run into trouble, if we run into obstacles, then we immediately jump to the conclusion, oh, this wasn't God's will. As if we think that all the time taking the right path of God's will is going to be smooth. And that's not true in scripture at all. So he says in the chapter, choosing the correct path does not guarantee a smooth road. Encountering obstacles and pitfalls along the way is not a sure indication that one has taken the wrong path. So you know, I, I've known Christians, I've even had these thoughts myself at times that, that just because something gets a little bumpy, things get hard, that doesn't mean you've made a wrong choice. So uh, we shouldn't fall into that trap. And encountering troubles and trials, it is an opportunity to think. You know, those, those trials, those difficulties that we face, it is an opportunity to assess our lives and the path that we have chosen. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the existence of troubles is a sure sign of sin or of error. 
So just because we have difficulties in our lives doesn't mean that we've sinned or no, neither does it mean that we've necessarily taken the wrong path outside of God's will. And he gives several indications in scripture or Jaya Packer does in the book. He gives several examples in scripture where people were clearly following the will of God and it was not an easy road. You have the Apostle Paul clearly following the will of God and he ended up in shipwrecks and being beaten and imprisoned. He was doing the will of God. God clearly revealing where he wanted him to go. It wasn't easy. And the, the penultimate example in scripture of that is Christ. Is there anyone in the whole Bible that did not follow God's will more than the Lord Jesus Christ? And he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he ended up being beaten and put on a cross and died. So we cannot come to the conclusion, a wrong conclusion, that just because things get rough or bumpy or obstacles, that's necessarily a point or an indicator that we've gone the wrong path. So it's not, not simple answers. Trouble is not necessarily a sign of being off track at all. For as the Bible declares in general that many are the afflictions of the righteous, things that we may consider a bad decision and a waste of life or opportunity may be exactly where God wanted us all along. So, you know, we may think, man, if I just made this different decision, I could have, I could have saved so much time. Could have, I could have not wasted all of this. But you don't know what God had in store for you. You don't know why God, in His sovereignty, in His providence, led you that way. It could very well be that what you consider to be a waste of time is exactly where God wanted you to be. So we might look at an example in Scripture like the life of Moses, and you might think, wow, you know, watching sheep in the wilderness for 40 years seems like a huge waste of time. But that's where God wanted him to be because he was preparing him for leading Israelites for the next 40 years. So uh, we can't necessarily look at these, these things that happen in our lives as you know, wrong decisions or wastes of time just because things get difficult or troublesome. Uh, we cannot properly assess the wisdom of the path that we've chosen by the lack or presence of hardships that we face. So just the presence of hardships or obstacles on the road does not mean that we've taken the wrong road. And in that sense, hindsight is not necessarily 2020. You ever we say this all the time. Hindsight's 2020 and we think, well, man, if I had just made that decision differently in the past, things would be better. Here's the problem. We can't know all the potentialities, all the possibilities of what changing that decision would mean. In order to know all that, we'd have to be God because only God knows all the possibilities. So yeah, we think, yeah, I've ended up over here. That was a wrong choice. I should have made this choice over here, but we can't know where that would have led us. Only God can know that. So even hindsight is not 2020. So we shouldn't evaluate the, the rightness or the wrongness of the path we've chosen based on the troubles or difficulties that we face, the way that we evaluate whether we've taken the right road or the wrong road is really the truth of the Word of God. 
Was it moral? Was it right? Did it conform to the principles of Scripture? He has this quote in there from Elizabeth Elliot. If you think, and if you're thinking that you know the will of God for your life, and you are anxious to do that, you're probably in for a very rude awakening because nobody knows the will of God for his entire life. So you think you know what God's will is step by step. Elizabeth Elliot said, you're probably in for a rude awakening. You're probably wrong because nobody knows the whole path that's set out in front of them. But what if we miss the, miss the road? Well, we can't assess whether we're on the right road or the wrong road just because there's obstacles, just because there's hardships. But we can assess, you know, if we made a wrong choice morally. We look back, you know, this was clearly a wrong choice. You know, I, this was sin. So what if we miss the road? Does that mean our whole lives are ruined? Does that mean that we've completely screwed up God's will for our whole lives? You know, what if we made clearly a wrong choice and took a wrong path? Is the damage irrevocable? Have we completely messed up God's will for our lives? Thank God, no. No. Because God is sovereign, isn't he? God is provident. He's providential. He's watching over all things. And our God, G.I. Packer says, our God is a God who not merely restores, but he takes up our mistakes and follies into his plan for us and brings good out of them. See, here's the thing. Morally speaking, you you may have made a wrong choice. But from a providential standpoint, it was all within the will of God providentially, sovereignly. Give you an example from Scripture. Uh, Judah, his brothers, they made a wrong choice. They sold Joseph into slavery. Morally speaking, from the truths revealed of the Word of God, that's wrong. To sell your own brother into slavery, to sell anybody into slavery, let alone your own brother. So morally, that was wrong. Did that completely mess up their lives and and completely ruin any chance for them to be used by God again? No. Joseph says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And we see that God, in fact, used Judah, the person who came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. God used Judah to be the forefather of the Messiah. So look at Peter. Peter denying Christ, that was clearly wrong. Did it mess up God's plan for his life? What God had in store for him? Not at all. Jesus took Peter aside and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times. And he restored him. And Peter went out to do God's will and to be used mightily as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ as his apostle. So our God is is not foiled. Our God's plans are not foiled by the decisions, the wrong paths that we take. It it is all being woven together in God's sovereign plan that he is accomplishing. And so he ends toward the uh, end of the chapter with this quote, guidance, like all of God's acts of blessing under the covenant of grace, is a sovereign act. Not merely does God will to guide us in the sense of showing us his way, that we may tread it. 
He wills also to guide us in the more fundamental sense of ensuring that whatever happens, whatever mistakes we may make, we shall come safely home. So God is leading us where we ought to go through his word. He's given us his spirit to indwell us, who is molding us, who is shaping us after the image of Christ and according to the truths of the word. But we're going to make mistakes and we're going to make wrong decisions. But that's not going to foil God's plan. He will ultimately accomplish his objectives for eternity, but he will also accomplish his objectives for our lives. And if we are a redeemed child of God, he will bring us home. And there is nothing in heaven or in earth, nothing in height or depth, nothing in the past or the future or the present, nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So may we follow him as he has revealed himself to us in his word. And may we have a a right understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a role that the Holy Spirit is always going to do in our hearts, in our lives, in conjunction with and through the word of God, which he has inspired, which he has breathed out and written. And so may God be pleased to guide us, to lead us, but ultimately to be sovereign, providentially watching over us and bringing us to our ultimate home. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in just thinking through some of the truths of the way in which you guide us. We thank you for uh, Jaya Packer and uh, summarizing these truths for us and leading us uh, to think more deeply about God's divine guidance. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, you would lead us through your word. Uh, Help us, Lord, to spend time in your word, really wrestling with it, seeking to apply it to our lives, seeking to remember and meditate on its truths. And Father, may we, uh, when we do have thoughts, impressions, promptings, may we uh, rightly discern them. As your word says, let us test every spirit to see whether it is of you. And may we rely on your holy word, the truth of scripture to do that. Father, thank you that you're watching over our lives. You're watching over your children and you are guiding us ultimately home where we can spend eternity with you. God, be glorified in our lives. And Father, may we seek uh, to do what is right and honorable in your sight. God bless your children. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. May God bless you the rest of this week.